Chapter Twenty Four of the Great White Queen by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Twenty Four, The Flaming Mouth. We stood rooted to the spot. The hidden colossus, the intensely white light streaming from its gigantic eyes, seemed to tower above us to an enormous height its outstretched wings threatening to enclose the great swaying crowd of fanatical worshippers. With monotonous regularity the long jaws, worked by hidden levers, fell apart disclosing the terrible pointed teeth against the roaring backdrop of smoke and flame, and so frenzied had the people now become that each time the mouth of the monster idol opened numbers of wild-haired men and women rushed up the incline that led to the blazing furnace and with loud cries of adoration of their deity, lifted their arms above their heads and cast themselves into the flames. Some fell clear of the double row of pointed teeth into the furnace, while others not leaping sufficiently far were impaled upon the great spikes of steel, and in full view of their companions writhed in frightful agonies as slowly they were consumed by the tongue of fire lapping about them. The scene was awful. Yet the Naya, surrounded by priestly dwarfs, stood regarding it with satisfaction. Such voluntary sacrifices to Zamara were, to them, gratifying in the highest degree. Suddenly the light in the eyes of the giant figure changed from white to a deep blood red, illuminating the strange place with a ruddy glow that increased its weirdness, and was a signal for a large number of sacrifices. Indeed, the worshippers now lost their self-control absolutely, and when the horrible mouth dripping with blood again unclosed, there was such a press of those anxious to immolate themselves that many could not struggle forward to cast their bodies into the flames before the teeth again snapped together. It was horrible. Nauseated by the sickening sight of men impaled and absolutely crushed to a pulp by the ascending jaw which must have weighed many tons, and the sharp teeth of which cut the unfortunate wretch to pieces, we turned away. We had emerged from the shadow that had concealed us, and stood in the full white light shed by one of the monster's eyes, hesitating how to seek some means of escape, when two of the dwarfs, suddenly turning a corner, came full upon me. In an instant I remembered that on account of the suffocating atmosphere I had unwrapped my hake from about my mouth thus allowing my features to remain uncovered. But ere this thought flashed across my mind, the uncanny-looking imps had detected my features as those of a stranger. For a second they paused, starting and glancing keenly at me. Then they turned and gazed earnestly at my companions. There was, I knew, no mistaking Kona's sable yet good-humoured face. Lo, they cried, shouting to the group of their priestly tribe standing rigid and silent among the bejeweled Naya. See, there are strangers present. One is a black savage like those thou hast given unto Zamara, and the other white like the people dwelling beyond the great black water. Their announcement produced an effect almost electrical. In an instant a silence fell, and at the same moment the voice of the Naya was heard commanding, if they are strangers who have dared to descend to this art temple of Zamara, bring them forth, and let them be given unto the great God whose maw still remaineth unsatisfied. Hasten, ye priests, do my bidding quickly. Let them not escape, or the curse of the king of the crocodiles be upon you. The two dwarfs sprang forward to seize us, 
while the group of priests fleet of foot accompanied by the great mob of worshippers sped in our direction the people having worked themselves up to such a pitch of excitement were eager to assist in the immolation of any intruders they were bent upon obeying the law of their queen but in an instant kona felled both the doors with two well-directed blows with his huge black fist and without hesitation we all three turned and fled in the direction we had come my companions had apparently forgotten where the steps descended but fortunately i had fixed the spot in case any untoward incident occurred they were over against a great pillar of rock rudely fashioned to represent a woman with an eagle's head this way i shouted follow me and with a bound sped in its direction as fast as my legs could carry me we had nearly gained the spot when to my dismay i saw a dozen of the worshippers divining our intention approaching from the opposite direction in order to cut off our retreat it was an exciting moment behind was a mad fanatical mob of five hundred men and women led by the dwarfs shrieking vengeance against us before us were a dozen determined men ready to seize us and convey us to a horrible death in the throat of the gigantic representation of their sacred reptile even if we safely descended the steps we knew not the secret means by which we might reach the earth's surface nor did either of us remember the exact point where the long dark tunnel joined the wonderful cavern none however knew that omar himself was one of my fellow fugitives for the dwarfs being consigned to a subterranean life perpetually had never set eyes upon him and therefore he had been unrecognized another moment and i knew he must be detected by some of the devotees if so the hostile feeling against us would be intensified and we should probably be torn limb from limb i had retained the lead in this race for life and seeing retreat cut off by the group of men gaining the top of the steps before us i turned quickly and although fearing the worst made a long detour determined to sell my life dearly i drew my long knife from its velvet sheath and gripped it ready to strike a deadly blow in self-defence luckily i armed myself in time for almost next moment a man of huge stature sprang forward from behind one of the columns of rock where he had been secreted and threw himself upon me clutching me by the throat scarce had his sinewy fingers gripped me when by dint of frantic effort i freed my right arm and with a movement quick as lightning flash i buried my knife full in his breast one short despairing cry escaped him and as he staggered back i dashed forward again without turning to look at the result of the swift blow i had delivered but i was desperate and being compelled to defend my life i do not doubt that my blow was unerring and that my blade penetrated his heart hindered thus in my flight my two companions had reached the edge of the precipice ahead of me and were skirting it when suddenly i saw a body of our pursuers approaching and cried to them in warning in dismay i noticed they took no heed of my words but continued their swift flight right in the direction of those who sought our destruction take care omar i shouted in english can't you see those devils in front but he answered not and i was about to halt and give up all thought of escape when i saw them both suddenly throw themselves on their knees on the edge of the abyss and almost instantly disappear over the precipice they had found another flight of steps eagerly i sprang forward and in a few seconds found myself descending the rough face of the rock 
scrambling desperately down into the yawning chasm with a wild horde of excited fanatics shrieking and yelling above. Half a dozen of the more adventurous swung themselves over and commenced to follow us, but those above, determined that we should not escape, fetched huge stones and lumps of rock which they hurled upon us. But their excess of zeal only wrought destruction upon their companions, who, being above us, received blows from the great rocks which sent them flying one after another to the base of the rock, killed or stunned ere they reached it. Twice we had narrow escapes on account of the unconscious bodies of our pursuers or their companions' missiles falling against us, but while all those who had followed us save one fell victims to the merciless frenzy of their companions, we were fortunate enough to be enabled to descend to the base of the rock, where once again the impenetrable darkness hid, although at the same time it hampered our movements. For a few moments at least we were safe, and paused to recover breath. My arm was bleeding profusely where it had been severely grazed by a sharp edge of rock in our headlong flight, and the white garments of all three of us were soiled and torn. But our halt was not of long duration, for suddenly we heard whispers and the sound of stealthy footsteps in the darkness. We listened breathlessly. Hark! cried Omar. Our pursuers are here also, and are looking for us. Let us hide beyond yonder rock, Kona suggested, in a half-whisper. No, they let us creep forward, answered the son of the great white queen. They will search every crevice and hiding-place now the hue and cry has been raised. And glancing up I saw a black stream of excited worshippers, many with torches that in the distance shone like moving stars, already pouring down over the rock in our direction like a line of ants descending a wall. Every moment brought them nearer upon us. Every instant increased our peril. Even though we were in the great chasm, the true extent of which we could not distinguish, we knew not by what means we could escape upward to the blessed light of day. Forward we crept cautiously, in obedience to Omar's instructions, but ere a couple of minutes had elapsed it was evident that the watchful ones who had heard the shouting from above and noticed the pursuit had discovered our whereabouts, for just as we had noiselessly passed a huge bolter, a man in white robe and turban sprang upon us from behind. "'Look out, Kona!' cried Omar, his quick eyes discerning the man's cloak in the darkness, ere I noticed his presence. Next second, however, the head man of the Dagambas and the stranger were locked in deadly embrace, notwithstanding that the man who had approached had cried aloud to us for mercy. Kona with drawn sword had gripped the man's throat with his long black fingers, when suddenly we heard a gasping cry. "'Stay thine hand! Dost thou not recognize thy benefactor?' "'Hold!' shouted Omar, the words causing him to turn and run back to where the pair were struggling. "'Knowest thou not the voice? Why, it is Galiba!' And it was Galiba. Instantly the black giant released the man who he believed intended to arrest our progress, and with a word of apology we all four sped forward. How our aged host had escaped after being thrown from the frame in which we had made the descent from the city we knew not until later, when he explained that on recovering consciousness and finding himself on his back in the tunnel with a slight injury to his shoulder, he had scrambled down the perilous descent, fearing each moment that he might slip in the impenetrable darkness and be dashed to pieces ere he gained the bottom. Intensely anxious as to our fate, he had at last descended into safety, but on emerging from the tunnel found proceeding above all the commotion the discovery of our presence had caused. 
he watched our descent into the chasm and stood below awaiting us but we had rushed past ere he could make himself known and he had therefore dashed across to a corner and thus come up with us but our meeting too hurried and full of peril to admit of explanation at that moment was at any rate gratifying for we all three had believed him dead our pursuers were now behind us in full cry a number of them had gained the base of the rock and yelling furiously were fast gaining upon us come let us hasten cried the old sage speeding along with a fleetness of foot equal to our own skirting the base of the great rock for a short distance until we came to a portion that jutted out over the uneven ground then suddenly turning aside we crossed a great open space where mud and water splashed beneath our feet at every step the further we went the deeper sank our feet into the quagmire until our progress was so far arrested that we could not run but only wade slowly through the chill black slime even across here our progress was traced for the lights in the eyes of the giant god were turned upon us and our path lit by a stream of white light which guided the footsteps of those who sought our death at last when we had crossed the boggy patch the ground became quite dry again but after running some distance further which showed me that the natural chamber must have been of huge proportions Galiba shouted to us to halt and remain there. We obeyed him, puzzled and wondering, but we saw him dashing hither and thither, as if in search of something. At first it was apparent that he could not discover what he sought, but in a few minutes when our pursuers had crossed the quagmire and were quite close upon us he shouted to us to come forward. Together we obeyed instantly, speeding as fast as our legs could carry us, to where Galiba was standing before a small fissure in the side of the cavern on a level with the ground, and so narrow that it did not appear as if Kona would be able to squeeze his big body through. "'Follow me,' the old sage said in a low tone, as throwing himself down before the mysterious hole, he crept forward, being compelled to lie almost flat on his stomach, so small was the fissure. His example we all quietly followed, finding ourselves groping forward in the darkness, but discovering to our satisfaction that the further we proceeded, the wider the crack in the rock became, so that before long we were enabled to walk upright, although we deemed it best to hold our hands above our heads, lest we should strike them against projecting stones. Without light, and in air that was decidedly close and oppressive, we proceeded. At last we were safe from the howling mob, for since leaving the great cavern all was silence, and it was now evident from the confident manner in which Goliba went forward that he was assured of the way. Soon we negotiated a steep ascent, now and then so difficult that we were compelled to clamber up on all fours, and for a long time this continued until our hands and feet were sore with scrambling upward. A spring shed its icy drippings upon us for some little distance, soaking us to the skin and rendering us chilly and uncomfortable but at length we reached what seemed to be a ponderous door that barred our passage. Goliba groped about for a few minutes without speaking, when quickly it opened to his touch, and we found ourselves in a long stone passage lit here and there by evil-smelling oil lamps that flickered in the rush of air from the great fissure through which we had ascended. "'This is amazing!' cried Omar, dumbfounded, as the old sage struggled to close the heavy iron door behind us. "'Why, we are in the vaults beneath the palace!' true o master galiba answered breathless after his exertions there is but one entrance 
and one exit to this labyrinth of vaults and foul chambers wherein the Naya confineth her prisoners. The entrance is, as thou knowest, immediately beneath the emerald throne. The exit is this door, which can only be opened by those possessed of the secret. Thirty years ago, when keeper of the prison, this door puzzled me considerably, for all attempts to open it on the part of the men I employed failed. It is of such construction and mechanism that nothing short of explosives could make it yield, and these I feared to use. But years afterwards a jailer who had obtained the secret from his father, also a jailer, but who was dead, imparted it to me on his deathbed in return for some good will I had shown him. I believe, therefore, that I am the only person who has knowledge of the means by which to open it. The knowledge hath in any case saved our lives, Galiba, Omar answered. But the great cavern and all those horrible rites introduced into the worship of Zamara, are not they new? No, replied the sage, they are as old as the foundation of the kingdom of Mo. Strangely enough, however, the great cave with its colossus and its race of sacred dwarfs, who live away in a small dark forest that can only be gained from the opposite side of the cave, were for centuries forgotten. The way to the temple of Zamara was unknown, and the dwarfs remained in undisputed possession of the place until three years ago. One more adventurous than the rest succeeded in ascending to Mo, where his capture resulted in the cavern with its great wonderful image being rediscovered. Since that time the place has never been devoid of votaries, and the great fire has constantly been fed by those anxious to immolate themselves to appease the crocodile god. Ah, he is a great god, Omar observed earnestly. Yea, O master, he is indeed all-powerful, answered the aged counsellor. He giveth us life, preserveth us from death, and shielded us from evil. And as they uttered these words, both fingered their amulets piously. End of chapter 24 Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com.